Thank you for tuning in to the sermon webcast of Living Savior. We are one church serving in two locations, Asheville and Hendersonville, North Carolina. For more information, go to lsavior.org. If you remember only half the story, the half that you remember might turn out to be pretty discouraging. If you mem- remember only half the story, the half the story you're remembering, you, you might not be fully understanding it or you might even be misusing it. If you remember only half the story, join the crowd. There's a lot of people that know the account, the story of the Good Samaritan, at least half of it. Everybody knows, in fact, what a Good Samaritan is. Many people could even retell the account, you know, pretty close to the, the, the way Jesus first told it. And yet, if all you're taking in is the familiar half, then I don't know if you're going to be too happy with the way it actually turns out. The intent of your Lord Jesus, of course, is not to leave you discouraged when you listen to his word and not to have you misunderstanding that you hear only part of of what many people are are remembering. His intent is that you and I look at this account and then see the whole thing. Because I assure you that when you see the whole thing, you'll come away once again with the comfort of Christ and also realize that you, in Christ, by his spirit, are very, very well equipped to produce some good fruit. So the familiar part, well, you could again, you could probably tell it with me. Jesus starts the account by saying there was this, this man who traveled from Jerusalem down to Jericho. So as I, as I imagine, he's up in Jerusalem because he's there for a festival like the Passover. He's a devout man. He's, a, he, he's an observant, temple-going man, an, an Israelite. He leaves Jerusalem and he goes down this winding road to Jericho. And along the way, the way there's this tragedy. He's attacked by robbers. And they, they take his money, they take his clothes, they, they beat him severely, and they, and they leave him lying in the road. In the story, as Jesus tells it, they leave him half dead. If you've seen that geography, you'd recognize this is a really desolate place. The desert between Jerusalem and Jericho is one of the, it, it, it's this, this rocky, weather-beaten, deserted place where nobody's going to come by except on this occasion. The first person that happens along is a priest. So, all right, you know, this is good. It's a priest. He's been up in Jerusalem. He's been serving God by offering sacrifices on behalf of his fellow Israelites, by uttering, uttering prayers for their benefit. But the priest, when he sees the man lying on the road, as I imagine it, he looks both ways to make sure nobody sees what he decides to do because he doesn't want to have anything to do with this man. He gives him a wide berth and passes by and heads on his way. But not a problem because along comes a Levite and this man, well, he's a Levite. So he, he also has been up at the temple. 
He's been assisting with the sacrifices, keeping order in the temple courts. He's been proudly doing what his tribal Levitical ancestors have been doing for 15 centuries. But he sees the man, yeah, doesn't even come close, gives him a wide berth, and goes on his way. How cold, how uncaring, how unneighborly. And then, as Jesus tells it, along comes a man who's going to Samaria. You've heard about the Samaritans. The Samaritans, the Israelites that are hearing the story from Jesus, they hated the Samaritans. They were, they were people that didn't keep the bloodlines pure. They also didn't keep the doctrines straight. The Samaritans were compromisers. The Samaritans were considered dishonest. If an Israelite would pass a Samaritan on the road, they wouldn't make eye contact with, with that person. And as, as you've heard, when they, if they traveled, they would never go through a Samaritan community. But this Samaritan, he came where the man was, and when he saw him, he took pity on him. He went to him and bandaged his wounds, pouring on oil and wine, some salve for healing, some antiseptic. Then he put the man on his own donkey, brought him to an inn, and took care of him. Imagine that. He not only risked his life by staying longer at that dangerous place where robbers had been, but he gave up some of his precious time. He spends the evening with this man who had been attacked, changing the bandages, bringing water to him, making sure that he was resting. And then the next day, he takes out these two precious coins worth two days' wages, and he gives them to the innkeeper and says, Use this to take care of him. If there's any extra expense, next time I pass through, I'll, I'll reimburse you. The half of the story seems to end well. The Samaritan has kind of overcome people's prejudices about, about his own people. He's, he's done so well. And the man who was attacked, he's, he's now healing. He's, he's on his way to recovery. He's going to get better and he'll go back to his loved ones. It seems to end well and we kind of smile about the story till Jesus asks his question. He says of the, the priest, the Levite, and the Samaritan, which of these three proved to be a neighbor to the man who was attacked by robbers, to which everybody answers, well, the one who showed him mercy, the, the good Samaritan, was a neighbor. To which Jesus says, go and do likewise. Uh-oh. Now it's personal. Now I'm supposed to be a good Samaritan to those that I have opportunity to help. That's personal. Now you're supposed to be a neighbor 
to anyone you have opportunity to serve and not on your own terms. Jesus says, go and do likewise. Do it like the Samaritan did. Do it where maybe you take some risk as you get involved in somebody else's difficulties. Do it where it might cost you some of your time and where you might have to give up some of your money. Do it in such a way that the person that you're helping may not even have appreciated you previously at least. Do it in such a way that you can be a neighbor to anyone that others might have passed by. You know, the type of person that others will say, why did you stop and help that person? Everybody else just passed by on the other side. Who's going to notice that you didn't do the same thing? The story, in fact, gets worse. You go to the top of it, and St. Luke is telling us that Jesus must have been teaching in a situation where he's talking for a while and, and his, lis his listeners are seated, maybe they're seated on the ground. And then on one occasion, this expert on the law stands up to test Jesus. To put him another way, he's a lawyer. But his expertise is not in civil law. His expertise is in the law that God passed down through Moses. So he has spent, spent years scrolling through the written laws of God, reading those books that we call Exodus and Leviticus and Numbers and Deuteronomy. He's also studied and listened to the laws that godly rabbis had added to the law of Moses. He's discussed these laws for years with others. He probably knows them by heart. So he approaches Jesus, the greatest rabbi ever, with a legal question. A legal question. He says, teacher, what must I do to inherit eternal life? Jesus says, what does the law say? How do you read it? And the man replies, the law says, you shall love the Lord your God with all your heart and with all your soul and with all your strength and with all your mind and love your neighbor as yourself. Jesus replies, do this in keeping with the law and you will live. But we're told the man wanted to justify himself. He wanted to get it exactly right by the law. So he says, and who is my neighbor? And then Jesus tells the story of a man that was going down the road and he was attacked by robbers and a priest and a Levite passed him by. But this one person this one Samaritan stopped and he did this and he did this and he did this and he did this. And Jesus says, be a neighbor 
to such a one, do that. Do likewise. When you, when you approach that issue from a legal question, I think it's really disturbing. Because as, as you know, a, a lot of us, you know, we, we kind of naturally, I, I'm going to figure out how can I justify myself on the basis of that story. A lot of people try that. So they'll be thinking to themselves, well, you know, there was that week that I spent, I spent it building a house for, for somebody that could not afford it. And, and, and there were all those occasions year by year where I donated to a foundation that provides food for the hungry. And, and I, I, I helped friends of mine, and I, I helped a stranger once. I gave CPR to somebody who was dying from a heart attack, and I stopped once when I saw this woman at an accident, and I dialed 911, and I waited. And, and, and what everybody does when they hear the account is they're thinking, how well have I done this? Have I done this enough to, to justify myself? And, and then we realize, oh my goodness, the courtroom is not a human courtroom. It's not something where you're going to go to a judge who hardly knows you and you can say, look at all the things I did. And then, and then you'll, 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 you'll send me home not guilty. No, the courtroom is God's. And God remembers all those occasions where you passed by on the other side. So he not only remembers the good that you did, the time you were a neighbor, all those times, he also is fully capable of remembering every time you saw somebody in need, and I don't have time for that. I don't have a heart for that person. I'm just going to go on my way and maybe hope somebody else, somebody else proves to be a neighbor. When you look at the story of the Good Samaritan, the half that everybody knows, I think it's a tremendously disturbing account. When you realize this was told to somebody who wanted to justify himself, and I love to try that. I love to justify my actions before my acquaintances and before God. And then you realize this is God's courtroom. And he knows it all. And he could remember every single time I was a priest and I was a Levite and I passed that person by when I didn't really have to. Thankfully, that's not the whole story. The whole story is not of the law, but of the Spirit. God's Holy Spirit summons you not to come before God and recite all the good things that you've done so that you can justify yourself before him. God's Holy Spirit comes to you and says, Sinner, confess your sins. Admit what to God he already knows and confess it freely. God's Holy Spirit summons you not to do what comes so easily when you're dealing with people, prove yourself right before them, but which is, which is far better before God. And that is to trust the one who took the punishment for your wrongs in your place. To recognize that 
these times I was not a neighbor, that's what the cross is for. That's what the sacrifice is for. That's what Jesus did to justify me before God. The Apostle Paul in the second lesson today was writing to you and me about God's Spirit, how the Spirit of God sets us free from the yoke of figuring I've got to justify myself before God. I'm going to have to stand before him and, and prove what a good neighbor I was. No, the Spirit sets us free from that slavery and that fear and that guilt and assures us by the Spirit you've been set free by Christ's good news. God's Spirit comes to us also in a law and gospel treatise that's known as the letter to the Romans. These beautiful words of the Spirit. But now, a justification from God. A not guilty verdict from God. Apart from law has been made known. This righteousness from God comes through faith in Jesus Christ to all who believe. There is no difference for all have sinned and fall short of the glory of God and are justified freely by his grace through the redemption that came by Christ Jesus. Justified freely by God's grace through the redemption that came by Christ Jesus. So is that the whole story? Almost. In Henderson County and in upstate South Carolina, there are thousands of peach trees that are producing what I'm told are over 40 varieties of peaches. Those trees are producing peaches for jellies and jams and peaches for, for pies and ice cream. And they're producing peaches for those moments where you hold one in your hand and you segment it with a paring knife and you pull it away, pull, pull the, the flesh of the peach away from the pit and you pop it in your mouth and oh, it's so good. All because good peach trees produce good pre-peaches. Quite similarly, God's Holy Spirit through faith in your Savior has made you what you were not. He's grafted you a branch to Jesus Christ the vine so that your purpose in life is producing good fruit. We read a number of them in that second lesson today. The fruit of the Spirit that he produces in you is love, Joy, peace, patience, kindness, goodness, faithfulness, self-control. All of those sweet, fragrant fruits that taste very good to your Father in heaven. 
and do very good to others. Did you notice that on the, the apostles' list, the very first one is love? The Spirit produces that. Produces love for God where you, where you gather on a Sunday morning and you sing his praises and you have the intent that this week by the Spirit I'm going to serve the Lord. Spirit produces that fruit. And he also produces in your heart and in your life and in my heart and my life as well, love for your neighbor so that you can be a neighbor to that person who has fallen on hard times and nobody else is helping her, but, but you can. And you're producing fruit for that friend of yours who's troubled by so many things, but you can be there for your friend and bandage his wounds with the good news of Jesus. The Holy Spirit, as he resides in our hearts, produces fruit of, of, of love for family members and of active love for acquaintances, of, for co-workers, and of, of love that looks very different from one person to the next. Where we, yep, we give up some of our time and we might even give up some of our money and we might even take a chance and there might even be some follow-up, you know, I'll reimburse you for any extra expense you might have where the fruit of the Spirit is granted by the Spirit from a heart of love over and over and over again. And it's not so that you and I can justify ourselves before God. Jesus has already done that for us by his sacrifice of himself. He's granted that to us in his name and in God's baptismal promises. He's going to give that to you again today. His very body and blood for the forgiveness of your sins, justified before God. No, we just recognize that's, that love is the good fruit of the Spirit. We heard last Sunday, pray for the Holy Spirit, ask for the Spirit, and the Lord's going to grant that Spirit. Not only to believe right here, but to do in all sorts of ways. So dear sister, dear brother, produce a bushel of good fruit this week to the glory of your Savior and recognize actually in this whole story, that's how the story is completed. Your Lord's love for you, love from one neighbor to another by the Spirit. That's the whole story. Amen.